The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 53, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I'm doing well, Brennan. How are you? Well, I had a little bit of work come in, so take some of the financial pressure off. Oh, what will you be doing? Well, it's complicated. Um, (laughs) basically I'm, I'm being paid. Um, I have to take a package from Uh here Uh to America. Uh huh. So crossing an international border. Yes. It has to be hand delivered. Oh, okay. And I'm the kind of person you hire when you need something that is sensitive, hand delivered. So like when the border guard says, and what is this? You're going to be like, it's not a head. It's not heroin. It's- <laughs> it's, I don't see how any of this could go wrong. Nothing could possibly go wrong. So if you're interested in being a co-host on the ghost story, guys, <laughs> just send me an email. We're going to need so that Patreon do- to pay for my bail. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, the uh, a consulting company I know, they need someone to, uh, there's a, a sensitive um, a sensitive proposal that right. needs to be couriered down to uh, down to somewhere in the U.S. and yeah. it won't get there if you send it by standard post or even through courier. It has to pass through customs, which is a process. It does take a while. Whereas yeah. if I hand delivered across the border, it's a lot faster, oh, nice. a lot more expensive. Because well, you know they got to pay my day rate plus yeah. my expenses. Oh, but you have a day rate like a, a like a private eye. I have a day rate. I like that. So <laughs> if someone wanted to hire you, ghoststoryguys at gmail dot com. <laughs> I'm unlicensed and I have no insurance. Oh, perfect. But I will do whatever. Take care of sensitive matters for my day rate. Like move a body, that kind of thing? Uh, no. Oh. No, that not out loud. <laughs> oh, sorry, code word. Get rid of spoiled fruit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Something totally. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. guys at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, well, I'm I'm proud of you for being so entrepreneurial. We'll call it that. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm going with. Yes. Yeah. How are you? I'm doing okay. You're full of chicken. We oh, we had a, so a, a fried chicken dinner before we got chicken. to the studio. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Roasted. I was thinking about it for like two days and I texted Brennan this morning. I'm like, please, please can we have the roasted chicken? <laughs> and the answer is always yes. Yeah. <laughs> you I never will, have to I ask don't twice. know that I'll ever turn down fried chicken. <laughs> so yeah, that, that made me happy. And it seems kind of tragic that uh, our introduction to an episode which is going to be entirely about the haunting of France. Yes. A country which is renowned for its cuisine. Gastronomic imperfection, yeah. So we started that with fried chicken. Well, they have fried chicken in France. I don't know that they have roasted chicken with potato wedges. Uh, No, potato wedges would, no. Coleslaw. Frites. 
Frites. They have frites. Uh, the absolute opposite of potato wedges. But yes, this episode is going to be all about the haunting of France. We started with Paris. Yeah. Uh, but then we had to expand outwards because we realized the language barrier is, makes it hard to find stories. Definitely. Wouldn't even have thought of that, to be honest with you. Nope. Didn't occur to me. Because Port- we are so North American-centric. That's that exactly. We just assumed everybody would, for our convenience, publish their shit in English. Give me the French ones. The English <laughs> ones. In English. In English. <laughs> I said in English. Yeah, and then say it louder. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like uh, I remember being in Asia and, and one of the people on our trip was looking for a cookbook. And she was getting so frustrated because she's like, well, why don't they have any local cookbooks in English? <laughs> it's like, wow. All right. Awesome. You sit there and think about that for a minute, yeah. lady. We'll, no, we'll come back to you. It wouldn't no? have helped. Oh, fair enough. would not have helped. No. I, I remember being in Milan and uh, looking for a bookstore, this gorgeous two-story bookstore. I can't remember the name of it anymore. But, uh, we were there, um, you know, on our big, our big trip about 11 years ago now and we were really sick. So we were desperate for things to read because yeah. we couldn't be too yeah. far from the bathroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, it was sort of a, a, a bit of a culture shock because there is an English section yes. and it's not very big. No. And so I think we ended up, I ended up buying this 400 pound compendium of the, his, of his dark materials the, uh, was it Philip Pullman sort of. Yes. I read that. Yeah. 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 So like this massive thing and, yeah. uh, but there was not much to choose from. It was just an interesting sort of, again, kind of culture, uh, culture shift for me. I ran out of books in Paris. I had taken 11 paperback books with me. Right. And I read them all. And okay. then I was like, cause I like to read. And so then I went looking for some and nope. Really? Yeah. I found one on a train. Oh geez. And I grabbed it. And that's it oh, got man, me it's through the can't last few fall days. It. I didn't even care. Didn't even care. <laughs> but uh, that's when I bought an e-reader. To be honest, ah, uh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. It broke me. I, I did all my traveling before the advent, of, long haul traveling like that before right. the advent of e-readers. So it was however many novels you could pack in your backpack. Yeah, yeah. I took them with me specifically to dump them. Oh, right? like totally. Take them and, and read them. Yep, I, there were a couple I enjoyed so much I brought back with me. But I um, abandoned Moby Dick in an airport somewhere. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, yes, yeah. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. But hopefully this episode will not be abandoned <laughs> and it will stay on the shelf Yay. For, for people to return to. Yes. As we mentioned, it's going to be The Haunting of France. And there's some creepy stuff in here. I actually spooked myself a couple times when I was doing the script. Now, when were you doing the script though? Like at night? Oh yes, dark. 100%. It was windy yeah. outside. Oh no. It's been really windy here. Don't do that. Actually, it was the same night that you had. An experience that we're going to be talking about in, in, in a moment here. Not cool. No, no kidding. Coming up after the break, The Haunting of France. And the end. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we'll be talking about the haunting of France. And, uh, these are stories that we managed to find despite our total ignorance (laughs) of the language barrier. Yep. Uh, and now I haven't, I've been to France twice, both very, both, pardon me, both times very quickly. Right. And talking about ignorance of language, I was there in 2008 
with a friend of mine. He was playing semi-pro volleyball in Buell, Germany, which is just across the border from Strasbourg. Right. So we went over to Strasbourg and we went to a coffee shop. And now I'm pretty good at picking up little bits of language. Uh, later that year when we ended up going to uh, Morocco, we flew to London, took the train to Paris, another train to Madrid, another train down to Alcatraz in the southern tip, and then a, a ferry across to Tangier. Right. I was able to pick up, you know, enough words to navigate us through the train stations and things like this. Because you, you sort of use inference clues, right? You look yeah, at signs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, when I went over with my friend who played volleyball, we just drove. So all of a sudden we're in another country. Right. Go to a cafe on, on the river. I can't remember how to order coffee in French. Oh no. And so I'm sitting at this cafe, this lovely little cafe, and I cannot for the life of me remember how to order two coffees in French. And I'm staring at this poor bastard with a blank look in my eyes. And I felt like a prize ass. I felt like every ugly tourist yes. stereotype you can possibly imagine. Yes. Oh man, it was, and it, bless him, he was actually pretty polite. I had a surprising experience here because I was ready for the French to be really rude. Everyone was absolutely charming and went out of their way to help us, especially in Paris. Really? The worst experience I had, and this actually gave me a lot of empathy for new immigrants to Canada. We were staying in a small village. Right. And I thought, okay, I can't speak the language, but one thing I can do, I can take the clothes to the laundromat and wash the clothes. Right. So I load up all the clothes. I walk the three or four blocks to the laundromat, bumping these clothes along. I walk into the laundromat, and we're talking a small mountain town at the base of the Pyrenees. Right. There's like 600 people in this town. Do you think that would be the kind of place you would find a state-of-the-art laundromat, which is run by a central touchscreen computer? <laughs> it is not. It no, is not. No. And guess what else? <laughs> oh, no. Friggin' touchscreen was all in French. With no English option. No. Oh. And you had to use a card. Merde. You could, yeah. <laughs> so you couldn't even, you know, put coins in the machines. Right. So I had to take the laundry back with me, get oh. my 11-year-old son, who spoke oh. fluent French, <laughs> get him to come and help his poor idiot father do laundry in the laundromat. And I had this flash of insight because we would go to the grocery store and they'd be like, oh, bonjour, blah, 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 blah. And I'd just look at my kid and he would talk back to them and he would figure oh, that's what great. we would do. But what I realized was all those poor people who come to Canada want to have a new life, want to give a better life to their children, but their children end up being the interpreters. They have to go with them to every doctor's appointment. They of have to course. Yeah, yeah, read yeah. every letter that comes to the house because it might be something official. They have to. And I got that. And that feeling of helplessness. Right. Um, it reminded me of a time we had a Japanese exchange student and I came home one day and she'd been with us about two weeks and she was sitting on the couch crying. And most of the English learning in Japan is written. It's not spoken. Oh, okay. So a lot of the Japanese kids would come from Japan thinking, oh, I'm good at English. Right. But they weren't. Right. They could write it. They could read it. They couldn't speak it. So this young woman was sitting on the couch crying. And I came, you know, came and sat down beside her and said, what's wrong? And she goes, in Japan, I'm funny. Here, oh, no. Here, I'm just stupid. Oh, shit. And that's really how she was feeling because she couldn't communicate who she was through this language. And so that all came rushing back to me as there I am like at the laundromat. Feeling like a big dope. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard on your self-esteem. So yes, Paris uh, surprised me in a good way, uh, humbled me. Right. And I was actually really, really glad to be there. I have a story about the catacombs I'll tell you later too. Sweet, yeah. We, I, we went down there. The language thing briefly reminds me. I was in Morocco in right. 2008, and I, I think this was in Marrakesh, 
and a lot of people speak French there. Yes. Yeah. And so I, now I did buy like a Rosetta Stone Arabic right. before we left, uh, but I didn't get that far into it. <laughs> and I still remember some numbers and things like that. Yeah. So it's an effective uh, tool, but yeah, no, I didn't commit. But anyways, now I like to shoot the shit with people. Mm-hmm. I like to chat with strangers. And I understand in the world this that we're building for ourselves here, this is not a welcome thing anymore. But no. 12 years ago, this was okay. Yeah. 11 years ago, this was okay. And so, you know, I was at the shop and I learned, you know, say combien, you know, how much. Right. And, uh, then I was waiting for someone to bring, I was buying some bread or something. And there was just a dude hanging out and I said, ah, ça va. And he starts talking to me. I'm like, ah, shit. I, I don't have the follow-up. <laughs> I can ask, how you doing? <laughs> That's it. But I can't, I can't. And I can't understand what you're saying. No. No. No, monsieur. No. No. And I remember too, we, we were in, um, oh, what's it called now? Casablanca. In the, in the Medina and we met these Moroccan guys who were sitting down with them having a chat and they were speaking English uh, very well. And uh, he was trying to explain a philosophical concept. Right. And he said, I wish I could explain it to you. He said, I could explain it in French, but I can't explain it in English. Wow. And he said, I just, it feels, you know, it's frustrating. And I thought, yeah, yeah, it's frustrating for you that these idiots have come to your country. You speak three <laughs> languages better yeah. than we speak one. Okay. Yeah. Well, and that was my line usually to the exchange students. Right. Well, I'll tell you, your English is better than my Japanese. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. No. Yeah, I won't try and speak it because uh, that would be a hate crime. But... Yeah. <laughs> I always felt like I should apologize before I tried to communicate with anyone. That's fair. <laughs> but I could point and order food. That was, yeah. Right. That was about it. So now you said you have been to Paris and you've been to the catacombs underneath Paris. I have. So tell me about that. So I didn't really know anything about them. Uh, We all got to pick where we wanted to go. And my son, uh, who was 11 at the time, was like, ooh, catacombs, let's go there. Yep, he's your son. Uh, Yeah. So off we went and we lined up and we paid our money and then you start walking down. And it's just tunnel, uh, a tunnel down, down, down. And the ceiling is painted white and there's a black stripe on the ceiling. And I was like, that's weird. Why would there be a black stripe? Well, then when you get down there, you start reading more of the history. In the 1800s, they started to let the public down there to see it because it's quite a spectacle. Right. And they were carrying torches, like flaming torches. Oh. And the black is from the torches. Interesting. Right? That is cool. Um, So you get down there. And you're basically confronted by these huge caves. So you may walk down there and you'll see a bunch of thigh bones from the end and skulls. And then behind, the rest of the bones are chucked. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's got a sign on the front telling you where that's from. So there was like plague bones, revolution bones. Jesus. Um, it's, It's intense. And there are, I don't know how to describe to you, thousands and thousands and thousands of people down there. Really? Because the caves just go on forever. Like, it got to the point where it's like, ugh, another cave full of dead people. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it was, but it was incredible. It, I've never experienced anything like it. And unfortunately for some of those people, like, I really sensed that some I of was, them. I was just about to ask yeah. what it was like down oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, it was heavy. Yeah. It was heavy. When we went, you could literally go up and like grab a skull and shove it in your bag if you wanted to. Like it was really? not. Yeah, there's, I'm sure it's different now. You know, this is 10 years ago, but it was, um, it was intense. Yeah. Huh. And, and I definitely felt like there were people still hanging around more out of like, well, we don't know what to do now. Of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And because many of them died so suddenly, either in a plague or in the revolution right. or whatever, um, that they were all just down there. It's, it's pretty wild. 
It's pretty wild. Hmm. Um, Speaking of uh, things that stay, before we get started on the actual stories, you have something that happened the other night. Oh, it was so weird. Tell us about that. So I'm downstairs and there's a landing in the house. And up on the landing, there's a table. And the table holds three things, a plant, a fish tank, and then one of those weather stations that tells you what the temperature is outside and inside. Right. Because I'm kind of a nerd that way. Of course you are. And um, this temperature weather station thing... I'm downstairs, I'm in the TV room, and I hear beep, 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 and it's loud. Right. I'm like, that's weird. Like, is that a clock radio that I don't know about? Like, what's going on? So I start walking towards the noise. I discover it's this weather station thing going off, and I can't get it to shut up. And it's flashing minus eight outside. Now it's around five degrees. Right. It was nowhere near minus eight. Oh, interesting. It's saying it was minus eight. And that's why I assume the alarm is going off. Because a lot of these ones, when the temperature drops to a certain point, it will set off an alarm. Right. I don't know. I couldn't get it to shut up. I pulled the plug, pulled the batteries. It right. finally shut up. Go back downstairs. I'm working away in the kitchen. And then I hear this sort of like loud kind of almost howling noise. Jesus. I'm like, what the heck? I go back upstairs. And on the table, right beside that weather station is a fish tank. And for whatever reason, that filter is going crazy. And so this is the same spot. The exact same spot. Same table. So it's just making this incredibly loud, almost like a bearing is seizing up. So I hit it. Right. <laughs> I tap it and it stops making the noise. But I've had fish tanks since I was 12. I've never had one make that kind of noise ever even when they're like running low on water they just make kind of a sucking noise they don't make anything like that fascinating so what are the chances that something like this would happen in the same place at the same time now here's the other part of the story that gets interesting it's not like the weather station just malfunctioned i assume right because there's one downstairs in the kitchen okay okay the weather sensor that's outside is linked to both weather stations. Oh, so the probe is for both. It's for both. And the other one wasn't showing minus eight and beeping. Nothing. It was showing the accurate outside temperature. Interesting. So how does that even happen? I I, I couldn't even begin to guess. And I didn't feel creepy. I didn't feel, ooh, something's here. Right. Um, It just felt like something was definitely trying to get my attention. Yeah, it sure does. So I don't know what that was. I... um, now, this is at the house on the Galloping Goose. Yes, and where there were to... problems before. Right. And they seem to have gone away. The house got smudged. Everything settled down. So then it was like, oh, is something back? Like, <laughs> we're not really sure. So we don't, yeah, we're not doing anything right now with it. But um, definitely something to keep in mind. So if anyone else has had a similar experience like that, where something's desperately trying to get your attention... I'd love to hear about it because I don't know what it was or what was going on. But, like, literally, what are the chances? Well, that's it. I mean, two separate pieces of unrelated Within 10 minutes. Yeah, malfunctioning in the same place. In the same place. Yeah. Come on. That's weird. That is weird. Yeah. All right, so let's get to the stories. A knock on the door. When I was 9 or 10 years old, my family traveled to France. We were excited not only because it was our first trip out of the country, but because we had booked two rooms and I would get one to share with my sister Susie. My parents would be right next door with my younger brother Matthew, but we still had our own room in another country. We thought it would feel like an adventure, and we were not wrong. It happened one night about midway through our trip. We had been sightseeing all day, 
and were back in our room listening to music on Susie's mobile when someone banged on the door of our room. I got up to open it, but there was no one there. Susie didn't believe me, so she came to the door to see for herself. The force with which whoever it was had banged on the door was quite strong, and it seemed impossible they could have gotten away in the time it took for me to answer. We were scared, so we ran to our parents' room and banged on their door, but no one answered. We found out later they were in there, but somehow they never heard us. It was like we were alone in the world. Now, even more frightened, we returned to our room, and that's when things got bad. The television turned itself on, started to change channels at random, then turned off again. After this, we heard gurgling noises from the bathroom, and what sounded like the shower wand falling onto the floor. All the time, Susie and I were huddled together in our blanket, frantically trying to remember every prayer we'd ever been taught. Somehow, and I truly do not know how, we fell asleep. And we, you always talk about that. That's uh, That's right. It just happens. You just do it because you don't know what else to do. Yeah. The next morning, we were awoken by my mother, and we demanded to know why they hadn't let us in the night before when we'd come knocking. She had no idea what I was talking about. They were in the room, but hadn't heard anything. Wow. We were scared stiff, and it was decided my family would leave France as soon as possible. That's pretty uh, upsetting. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of these banging on the door and, uh, like, banging on the wall things that we're going to be seeing coming up. I think that does happen in older places more. People were a lot more serious about what they put over their door jams. Do you know what I mean? Like in right. terms of salt or horseshoes or, you know, whatever you need to do to keep the witches away. Right. And maybe there's some power to it. Maybe, again, that power of intentionality, um, that things can't just do what they want to do. So they bang on the doors because oh, interesting. they were denied entry in life or who knows. Well, I know uh, we, I've mentioned this on the show before when we had the old... Um, not even the 1218 studio, the office I worked in before the 1218 right, studio, yeah. when we were on the second floor, I bought a, a piece of magnetite and I had that above my door. Right. And consequently it felt less heavy than the rest of the office, yes, yeah. but made it difficult to get out at night Yes, because I had to cross from my place to the office or through the office to and get then, out. And then out into the hallway. Yeah. You had, yeah. sort of had to wait for it to ebb. <laughs> but uh, no, that, I hadn't thought about that. They, they yeah. can't get through. Yeah, I wonder if that's got something to do with it. Maybe. Maybe. Because in those days when they were building places too, they would build things into the walls. Oh, right? really? Like they would, yeah, they would put things in the walls. So they took that very seriously. So I don't know. It's a theory, but. Maybe. The Signalman's Cottage. This experience happened to my partner and I while on vacation in a remote part of Brittany. We had rented a quaint old signalman's cottage along the railroad and were rather looking forward to a quiet week away. However, I felt ill at ease immediately upon our arrival. For whatever reason, the main bedroom was particularly uncomfortable for me. By the third night, we had begun to hear loud noises, almost constantly, which in the countryside, as we were, were quite mysterious in nature. I've always had a considerable interest in the paranormal, but we couldn't quite bring ourselves to believe the cottage was haunted. So we started to look for mundane explanations, but our options were thin. There were only two other buildings in our lane, one of which was clearly abandoned. And the only other person we saw was an old man shuffling across the train track from time to time. We assumed he was out getting his daily exercise, though we never really saw him coming or going, always at the train crossing. That said, I do think he was real and not an apparition. If it had stayed at mysterious noises, I think the vacation might have been salvageable, but on the penultimate night of our stay, things escalated considerably. We were woken in the night by a banging sound coming from the wall behind our heads. And as I tried to shake the cobwebs enough to make sense of this, I felt my arm being lifted as if my wrist was being gripped by an invisible hand. 
At this point, I was angry as well as terrified and pulled the duvet around me to keep my arms covered to prevent it touching me again. This was the last incident during our stay, there being no activity on the final night, but it has certainly left an impression on me. The owners of the cottage had kept visitors' books and diaries going back to 1990, and one of the visitors, but only one, had left a comment referring to things that go bump in the night. So we evidently weren't the only people to experience paranormal activity, but I do wonder why they chose us. Man, that's a bad review on Airbnb right there. <laughs> Lovely of, view. Full of effing ghosts. Don't care for the hauntings. Holy man. Yeah, no, the, no kidding. The touching thing would be would be an issue for me, especially moving me. <sighs> yeah. That would freak me out. You know, I mean, I've, I've dealt with banging. I've dealt with noise. I don't like the noises. They piss me off. It's like, oh, just stop. <laughs> like, you're going to do something, do something. Just cut it out. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> Dial it down, Dave. Dial it down. Yeah, back off, buddy. The Hotel. Many times over the years, I've thought about an experience that happened to me and my first wife on our honeymoon in France. It occurred in 1992, and yet the experience still haunts me. As weddings go, we had a very sweet affair that took place in a beautiful country restaurant outside of Paris. At a certain point in the night, we departed from our guests, as is a custom, though in our case it was also a necessity, as it was a two and a half hour drive to Dieppe, where we were staying. As it was late and we wanted to be careful as we drove, we did not take the auto route, the main highway but drove to our destination along what is called in France the Old National Highway. It was a longer way of going, but the evening was beautifully warm, and so we took our time and drove with the car windows open, excited about reaching our hotel, the Windsor, where we had booked the honeymoon suite. When we finally reached our destination, we drove into the town and were very interested to see how medieval its appearance was. It reminded me very much of the Canadian city of Quebec City, as it had a very old gate entrance which we passed through, and there were cobblestone streets and many turrets rising from various fortress-like structures. It was, though, completely devoid of lights and completely silent. On first impression, it was so dark it was eerie, and I was thankful that the moon was shining brightly, as it was sort of our guide to navigate the twists and turns of this medieval city. As an aside, I don't remember saying much of anything to my bride or her saying much of anything to me as we drove down these strange streets, but there was something unsettling in the air. I remember thinking how odd it was, that we didn't hear or see anything. No cars, dogs, cats, or other people, but chalked it up to the time of the night as it was probably now close to 3 a.m. When we got to the hotel, we couldn't see where to park the car, so we drove it some distance to a place on the coast where we felt safe leaving it until we figured out where the hotel wanted us to park. As we walked back, holding hands along the deadly quiet moonlit street, the only thing on my mind was a good night's sleep. As we arrived and stepped into the hotel, what we found was a very old-fashioned dark lobby, with potted palms and old tufted red velvet button furniture and a very plump man with a funny mustache, the kind people wax at the ends. He was, as I recall, wearing a vest and a collarless shirt. This man, who was sitting at the front desk, didn't really have much of an expression, but I figured it was late and he was probably tired. Oddly, there were no lights on, except the light of a candle burning in a glass-type lantern on his desk, but we paid little attention. We had finally arrived, and we were looking forward to getting into our room. In my broken French, I sympathize, (laughs) I asked about our reservation, and the gentleman promptly turned an old ledger that was in front of him and handed me a pen to sign. The only odd thing we felt at that moment was the kind of pen which was given to us, as it was the kind one would use to dip into a pot of ink. But thinking all of this was very quaint and perhaps traditionally French, we just did what he showed us to do, and together we excitedly signed our names as a newly married couple. After we signed, the man said nothing to us, but simply lifted a bell off his desk and rang it, and soon there appeared a young girl dressed in what were best described as traditional clothes. 
I remember her hair was put up in a very odd sort of way, and she wore a white cap on top of it. She was also wearing a very long dress that went to the floor. It all looked sort of of a period, although what period exactly, I don't know. I assumed it was just keeping in with some tradition of the region. I found it all very charming. I do remember, though, that the girl's appearance was not lost on my wife as she began speaking to me about it in English, and I hushed her as this girl worked in a tourist-heavy area and probably spoke English. I didn't want to offend her, you see. But I have to honestly say it was very odd and hard not to discuss her appearance and had us really wondering to ourselves as we were led up a winding staircase by candlelight to our room. The whole thing seemed so unlikely and unsettling, I felt as though I needed to say something, and so I remember telling my new bride that perhaps this is what this hotel is known for and pointed out the positive rating which the hotel had received in the guidebook. <laughs> she looked at me go. doubtfully. Yeah. And so it began. Yes. <laughs> That's why it's his first wife. <laughs> when we arrived at the room, the girl took the key from my hand and proceeded to put it into the door's lock. She turned what sounded like a very heavy tumbler, and then clicked the latch but had trouble opening the door. No words were spoken when she handed me the candle so she could push the door open using both hands. I remember to my astonishment that the door squeaked and squealed across the floor as it was literally scraping along. Peering into the room, I was amazed to find it held only two single canopy beds and an enormous amount of dust. It had built up behind the open door like snow behind a plow. The room was also cold and damp. The coverlets of the bed were like green velvet and also buried under a layer of dust. Most horrifying of all, there was a cobweb that strung itself from the canopy of one bed to another. Crazy. Sickened, I said to the girl, this is our honeymoon. We are not going to sleep here. After our show of angst, without saying a word, she nodded and pulled back the door and locked it. And so we descended back how we came, down the spiral stairs. But when we arrived at the reception, there was no old man at the desk anymore, so we just left the key and walked out, exhausted and at our wit's end. I felt like a prize ass, as I had made all the travel arrangements, but there was nothing we could do except go back to the car and... This was more or less a pre-digital age, so finding a hotel wasn't as simple as pulling out the iPad. In the end, we walked back to our car, put the seats back, and tried to sleep as best we could in that tiny French automobile. <laughs> it was an uncomfortable, restless night, but we managed to get a small amount of sleep. When morning came and we awoke, the day was bright and beautiful, and to our luck, in front of us, not too far, was a beautiful hotel. We walked inside and asked if, by chance, they had a lovely suite or even a room which we could have immediately. I started to explain to the man at the desk that we were on our honeymoon, had just had an awful experience at the Hotel Windsor, and needed somewhere to stay so we could shower and relax. We really were desperate, and still dressed as we were in our wedding attire, I'm sure we looked it. The man at the desk looked at me, perplexed. Where? he asked. You'll notice I'm not using a French accent. <laughs> Where? Yes. <laughs> Where did you say you had this bad experience? Frustrated, I repeated myself. The Hotel Windsor. The baffled desk clerk then proceeded to tell us that we were now in the Hotel Windsor, and to prove it, he asked for our last name and used it to find our reservation. The room, he said, was still available if we were able to pay the late check-in fee. Wow. Yeah. At this point, we were in free fall. Nothing made sense or felt real. We tried to tell the desk clerk about the hotel we'd been in, how it had been lit by candlelight and staffed by people in traditional dress. The clerk insisted no such hotel existed, and that we had simply been mistaken. That's a big mistake. Yeah, that's huge. We were too tired to fight, and once we had gotten to our room, we fell into a deep sleep until dinner time. While getting dressed, my wife and I talked about the period-themed hotel from the night before and decided that while on our way to eat, we would make a point of going back there. So we tried, walking a considerable distance in all possible directions, but the place was nowhere to be found. Not only that, but the things we had so clearly noticed about the town when we entered it the night before, twisting cobblestone streets, towers, lack of streetlights, were absent, 
it looked completely different. Wow. When we finally settled on a restaurant, we peppered our waiter with questions. Was there a period-themed hotel in the city? Maybe there was a movie being shot there. Had the city been in blackout the night before? By this point, you will not be surprised to hear that the answer to every single question was no. I used that you got an accent. Thank happy? you. Bothered by the strange looks we received from the people we asked or friends that we told about our experience, we chose not to speak about it anymore. Today, I'm honestly still bothered and shaken by this encounter, and I wonder what would have happened if we'd stayed the night. Right? Sounds like a time slip. It does. And I mean, to be honest, I don't put a lot of stock in stories of time slips because they seem so... I mean, most paranormal experiences we talk about are fleeting things that happen within our world. Yeah. You know? And I mean, I, at one point I thought I'd had a time slip. Right. And then I managed to explain it away. Right. I managed to just like find out what actually happened. Yeah. Uh, but this is so dramatic. It, well, going in the hotel, interacting with people. Yeah. Um, noticing there's no streetlights. Like, yeah, this is really significant. Yeah. And, I mean, but I always wonder when I hear stories about this, like this rather, how is it that the people in the hotels don't react you know, because you're coming in, you're wearing, I mean, if, if we're talking about you going into a previous time, uh, t- like time. Right. Do you think they look at you like you're the devil because well, you're wearing crazy clothes? No, because who's to say they see you the way you are? Uh, right. Right. I mean, you're, you're seeing something that's not even there. So. Right. Um, maybe to them, you just look like regular people. Maybe. There was a, a story from, I think, Iraq or Iran, uh, like this. It was in the book Borderlands by, mm. I want to say Mike Dash or something. But, uh, these guys were on a road trip. I think they're actually driving from some, from like Turkey to Iraq or something okay. like back before, back when you could do that. Yeah. 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 And I wouldn't say it was the fifties, but, um, there was a little oasis, little, uh, tea shop and they stopped and they had wonderful food and they said it was very, very cheap. And, uh, they explained to their friends once they got where they were going and, and the friends said, no, there's, there's nothing yeah, there. Yeah, and they went yeah. back and. It wasn't there. Wow. And I, I, again, part of me thinks, well, you must be mistaken. Cause with me, I was mistaken. I, I, right. I thought I went up to a certain place. It turns out, no, I went to a place that it, it, it was, it was really there and it was closed. Yeah. I thought I went to a hotel and the hotel was boarded up. Right. It wasn't. I went to a building next to the hotel. Oh. That was boarded up. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I, I, part of me wants to have that happen. And part of me doesn't. Oh, I don't want that to happen. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Give me an old holiday and I'm cool. <laughs> no, no, no. Because I uh, would have way too many questions in that moment. Right. And my concern would be if you ask too many questions, what happens if you catch on in the moment? Right. Yeah. That's a good question. I, yeah. No. I'm like, oh, sorry. You're stuck here now. Like he says at the end of the story, what would have happened if we'd stayed the night? Like, who knows? Yeah, that's that's a thing, you know. I mean, we've talked all the time about missing four one one, and and I have this sort of running theory that sometimes when oh, you go missing, people fall into the crack in the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, like something just clicks out of alignment. Yeah, you step through at the wrong time, and you, and you don't come back before it clicks back. Yeah. No, that makes sense and it's to me. A, you're just a natural phenomenon. You're not being taken. No. I mean, it doesn't explain the folded clothes and stuff like that, but you know, just in terms of the people who they can hear, but can't find. Yeah. I wonder about that, you know? Interesting. It's cool a terrifying theory. thought. Terrifying. <laughs> Moral of the story, don't go in the woods alone. Or to French hotels. Or mountains. Yeah. Mostly just stay home. Coffee shop, bars. <laughs> well, no, even those. Well, they can fight me. We'll fight them on the beaches. We will fight them in the mountains. <laughs> oh, them and the try shops. not to spontaneously combust. That's no, that would be handy. I can get you everywhere. Pretty much. Jesus. <laughs> this next story is called The Attic. 
When I was four, my parents and my grandparents bought a two-story house in the French town of Colmar, near the border with Germany. The idea was that my grandparents would live on the main floor, with my parents and I on the second. There was also a basement with three rooms, and an attic with its own separate small storage space. I know many people talk about having scary basements, but I quite liked ours. The basement and the garden were my two favorite places to play. The attic, however, was another story. From the very first time I accompanied my mother up there to help put away boxes, I was terrified. I felt as though there were eyes on me, and I was convinced there was a beast up there. Not a monster, you understand, but a beast. I don't know why. Fast forward to summer 1991. I'm eight years old and played every Sunday with my friend Melanie. One day after reading a book about a girl finding a secret passage in her home, I had the genius idea of searching our house for one. My rationale was, it's an old house, ergo, secret passage. Melanie and I started the search in the basement, but found nothing, and we eventually went to the attic. It was such a strange place, L-shaped, with the long part of the L so dark we needed a flashlight to see. We never did find a passage, but we did find a hole in the wall up the right corner of the attic. It was three feet tall and quite narrow, but by looking into it with a flashlight, one could see a room. There was no obvious entry to that room, however, only the hole. We were looking through this hole when I began to feel uneasy. Something was in the attic with us. I kept looking at the far end where there was no light and was sure that something would come at us. I saw nothing, and we went out playing in the garden. The next Saturday, we went back to the attic. We were fearless young girls, you understand. Besides, my friend never felt anything, so I thought that I simply had an overactive imagination. So this time, I was looking through the hole, and my friend had the flashlight. She was standing at the far end of the attic and suddenly asked me, What's that? I looked in the beam of the flashlight and froze. There was a young man sitting on the floor, his knees against his chest, his arms wrapped around them like he was hugging himself. He turned his head toward us, and smiled. We bolted out of the room and went to the storage room. My heart was pounding. I was out of breath. I first thought it was a real person, but he had no color. It was like a 3D dark shadow, and we never heard any footsteps. My friend refused to admit that we saw ghosts, and we never talked about it. I never saw him again, but the storage room became my room when I was a teen, and sometimes I heard strange noises. Bangings on the wall connected to the secret room and scratching noises. I would be moving out. Yeah, that wouldn't be my room. I'll get my own. Hell no, yeah. I'll sleep in a tent in the garden. Exactly. My grandmother learned later that her house was a clandestine printing office for anti-German forces during World War II. But I think there was something else in that house. I believe that the secret room was used to hide people. We moved out three years ago, but I still have nightmares about that attic. I think I always will. Uh, yeah, I, I think I would too. Why, if you were freaked out by it, would you make that your bedroom? I wonder if she didn't have any choice. Like what, the couch was used? <laughs> oh, the parents might not want you sleeping down there all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I... The thing is, I couldn't find a secret room and leave it. No way. Eh? No. How could you? How could you leave that? That wouldn't. I, I would look in and be like, oh, 
Okay, and there's something in there that doesn't want me in there. Cool, we're cool. Oh, no, I couldn't. Bye. I couldn't. I, ha I would have to look. Really? This is why you're going to live longer than I am. <laughs> you are going to end up in a time slip. Probably. I'm going to be like, where's Brennan? I, all I can find is his car. And yet again, if anyone wants to take over. <laughs> Ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. <laughs> Please just send me an audition MP3. <laughs> That's right. He, he might be able to figure out how to play it. <laughs> Dreams of Aldaban. It was early in the morning in the village of Barjimon that I first saw the spirit. I was nine years old and remember waking up to hear the church's clock ring 5.30 a.m. I don't know how I knew the time, but I did. Standing between my bedroom door and my bookshelf stood a hooded, monk-like figure who had only blackness where his face should be. It was short, standing no more than five foot five, wearing a cloak and holding a candle. Also a pale fluorescent light was emanating from the spirit. I was so scared I couldn't scream. With much effort, I managed to turn on the light, and the spirit was gone. I never saw it again, mostly because I did everything I could in order not to sleep in my bedroom. I had already had some experiences before that. One night I woke up and saw four children playing with my toys, and another time saw flying men above my bed, but I had always been in a waking dream state. This time I was fully awake. Three years later, when I was twelve and still too scared to spend an entire night in my bedroom, I woke up one night to feel some kind of energy, and turned on the light immediately so I wouldn't see anything. I then heard a man's voice behind my door. It was a bit scratchy, and sometimes interrupted as if coming from a radio, but I knew for certain I heard, Can't get through, now it's up to you, find your way, and story. The voice said these words in Danish, which I speak because I'm Danish as well. By some miracle I fell asleep, and then dreamt that I wanted to contact the spirit I had seen, and that I had to do so by using a radio. When I got the radio ready, a voice came out, and it was the same one as I had heard in my bedroom. This was about the start of a long series of dreams I had until my 13th birthday. I remember dreaming about a pale, black-haired man in a suit, standing beside a blonde, curly-haired woman with blue eyes. I dreamt about the same man being a British soldier during World War II, rescuing a little girl. I was a little girl in the dream, although I wasn't even born in 1945. One night I dreamt about a brown-haired girl entering my kitchen, and when I asked her what her name was, she said Liz. When I woke up, I had a feeling she was a sister. Telling you all my dreams would take too long, so I'll just sum up what I've been able to gather from them. The spirit's name was Alaban. He lived in the UK in a house next to a forest with a river. He had a twin brother called Aldaban and a sister called Liz, the girl from my dream. His mother died when he was 10. She made clothes and had just finished a dress for a friend that would be worn at their village's ball. The necklace, which was elegant and classy, fit perfectly with the dress, so Alaban's mother decided to let her borrow it. Alaban would come and pick it up after the ball. He did, but on the way home he had to cross the river and dropped it. He told his mother, who went to look for it in complete darkness. She slipped on a stone, hit her head, and she drowned. Mm. Aldaban was a psychopath. He was jealous of Alaban because he had special abilities, like being psychic and able to not only communicate with animals, but transform into one. I had a dream where I saw Aldaban kill Alaban with a knife when he got home from the war. Liz saw it all and tried to stop him, but the dream stopped before I could see what happened next. However, I had a dream where I saw Liz locked up in a hospital and saw her last name somewhere. It started with DDA. I also had dreams where I would be told by Alaban that I had special abilities, like him, and I would discover them on my 13th birthday. But on the night of my birthday, nothing happened, and I never had the dreams again. Today I still wonder what all this meant, what the spirit wanted. I haven't seen spirits since that night. I've felt things, but prayed for them not to show themselves. It's like I shut that thing off in order mm -hmm, to be able to sleep. Mm -hmm. Today I have a very strong intuition, and sometimes I feel things before they happen. It's like I know what will happen, but I, I can't explain how I know it. I also have dreams to predict the future, but they're quite rare. And I'm good at reading people around me. I can pick up how they feel, 
feel their emotions, and help them to understand what they're feeling. I never heard from Aliban, and regret not having the courage to ask it what it wanted. Maybe I could have helped him. I sometimes want to contact him, but I don't know how to, and I'm scared of the consequences. I'm also frightened of meeting an evil spirit, or being attacked. Well, fair. I mean, I really struggled with this one. I almost didn't include it. Hmm. Um, but, because, I mean, it, a lot of it just sounds like dreams. Right. But, there is something to it. You know, the fact that, I mean, this person says that they were told, I think, it's a, I think it's a woman, not that it matters, but I think they were told, you know, you will have these powers when you're 13. Right. And they said they didn't get them, but then they go on to describe a great deal of psychic sensitivity. Yeah, they did get them. The names are particular though. Yes. You know, Aldaban and you wouldn't Aliban. You dream of that. Well, no, and, and as British people, those are not yeah, British names. No. And, no. and I did look up Aldaban. I couldn't find anything under Aldaban. I did look up Aldaban. And it's a word in Basque. It means unattended. Oh, interesting. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's relevant or yeah, not. Yeah, no, know? interesting. And it's also, uh, there's a star named Aldaban. Unattended or unintended? Unattended. Okay. Almost like... Um, uh, Left alone. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I don't know if that's significant or not. I mean, I don't know what the Basque language has to do with a, a Danish person experiencing haunting in France. Mm. But uh, it's it's just such an odd story. Yeah, no, know? it's it's neat. It's different. And the fact that they intentionally shut it off too kind of reminds me of some things you and I have talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, so I wonder what their experience would have been if they'd been a little more open to it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just I was just thinking I'd do exactly the same thing. Just turn it off. Yeah. No fair. Yeah, and I wouldn't. I I totally understand the end too, where it's like I thought about contacting but I'm scared to do that and I think you're right because you don't know what's going to come through and some of this shit lies oh sure no I like, that's, that's the thing I mean I think you know if we have any kind of precognitive dream it's you, you really have to sort the signal from the noise yeah you know yeah. it's not all true no it's mm-hmm. it's sort of how, how much you're able to pick up from the you know from the stream yeah you know and, and filter through your bias and your expectations and your fears yeah you know it's it's such a a frustrating way to have to interpret things because you you can't get it it's hard to get a clear look at it well and i've just been talking with a friend of mine her husband's a big fan of the show hi evan and um they had some weird stuff happen in their house which i've talked about before right. the voice calling and things yep. like that and as i was sitting there talking to her because she finally had something happen she's never had anything happen before. oh interesting and she was up really, really early and she was making lunches and things like that for the kids and her husband and stuff. And she heard a really loud bang. Oh. And she said it wasn't like a door slamming. It was like it almost shook the whole house. Oh. And she thought, oh, someone fell out of bed. Right. So she ran upstairs. Everyone was still asleep. Interesting. No one had moved. And she was like, I can't explain that. Like she knew it was not. Natural. Natural. Right. Yes. So we were talking about it and I've been to their house before and I've talked to Evan about this stuff and, and all this sorts of thing. And I'm, and as we're sitting there, the pictures are coming. We've talked about this. So I get the pictures in yeah. my head and, um, she goes, I hope it's something scary. And it was like, boom, I got all the pictures. I said, you know what? It's not. I said, I think it's a woman about your age and she either died when her children were young or her children died. Oh, okay. And she's drawn to your kids. Right. She doesn't want to hurt them. She doesn't want to hurt you. She just wants to be around that energy. She wants to be around the kids. And that's why she's kind of showing up. So um, I said, don't worry about it. 
right? It's nothing bad. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you've seen The Last of Her. Oh, fun. I yeah. She'd love to hear that. Well, I don't think she's haunting the house. I think she's passing through. Right. And I think she's tied to the land in some way. So they oh, were like farmers. That's what I was getting. It was like they were farmers. They they lived off the land in some way. Right. A long time ago. And I think it was her, she died when her kids were young. Right. And she's drawn, drawn to, to her the, kids. And I said, that, has your son ever been scared by this? And she's like, no, he just... It's kind of drawn to it. And he will look and point. Like she she said she was playing a game with him. Where's your eyes? Where's your nose? Where's your ears? Because he's really, really young. Right. And then all of a sudden he pointed at the, his bedroom, empty bedroom door. And she's like, what? And he just started giggling. Ooh. <laughs> I know. Children But I don't think it's anything bad. I think it's um just something that's kind of drawn to that energy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not a bad thing. 99% of the time. It's not a bad thing. Oh, no. We're, but we're just so uh, sort of programmed by horror movies. We are. And, and, TV and, and horror movies have yeah. a lot to answer for because 99.9% of the time, it's not nothing bad. We get scared because we don't understand it. Sure. And it's unpredictable and it's not something we can see or control. But realistically, they're just people. Yeah. They're just people. And they're looking to fulfill a need just like we all are. It's just their options are a lot more limited. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> This next story is called The Beach. Perhaps a dozen years ago, I was camping with my parents and then girlfriend... Oh, so I guess that one didn't work out. And then girlfriend somewhere in France. I no longer recall exactly where, but remember there was a beach nearby. To go to the beach from the camping point, we had to go through an alley, which was about 200 feet long and about 15 feet wide, with a concrete wall on one side and some sort of hay wall on the other. The floor was made out of sand with some grass, and there were lamps at ground level every 15 feet or so. This alley was brightly lit and not remotely scary. My girlfriend and I were going back to our tent from the beach one night, via the alley, when about halfway down we heard a noise. It sounded as if someone or something was walking at the same pace through the brush near to us. There was no brush in the alley, so we thought we were hearing an animal on the other side of the cement wall. We stopped. And so did the sound. So we started walking again, and the sound followed. Every time we stopped or walked, the noise did exactly the same thing. I thought someone was pranking us, so I looked up the cement wall to see if someone was watching us, but the wall was about ten feet high, and no one was there. Also, it was a thin wall, and to get up there at night would have been a real dedication to a dumb joke. Also, we were walking on sand, and our footprints made virtually no noise, so it seemed unlikely they would be following us by sound. The whole thing scared us, so we walked quickly to the end of the alley, and the phantom noise followed us almost the entire way, disappearing only at the final moment. We explored a little on the other side of the wall, and there was a garden house which appeared to be empty. There was no obvious or subtle explanation for that feeling. I went to this place every summer for almost 15 years. And this was the only time it happened. Where you see one set of footprints, my child. Oh, that is where I scared the stop. shit out of you. <laughs> <laughs> the dream. I had an interesting experience this summer in France. I was trying to get to sleep alone in a tent on a stormy night. I was a little jumpy because the rain was coming down in such hard torrents and I wasn't confident my tent would hold out. As I was finally falling asleep, I became convinced there was a man outside my tent. I had a mental image of him walking around out there. My anxiety worsened. Suddenly, it was as if there was a man, a soldier, 
on top of me. He was holding me down with his entire body and using a hand to cover my mouth as I struggled from beneath him. He spoke quickly in another language, possibly German, though I've only had one semester of it, so I'm hesitant to pinpoint it as such. It was dreamlike in the sense that I couldn't really move or scream, which, if this sort of thing had really happened, I'm absolutely positive I would have been able to do. I woke myself up with my own cries and gasps, and I was there alone in my tent, just fine. I slept there for six weeks with no other incident. I'm an archaeologist. It was our field camp. Though someone with a tent near to mine got up one morning about 2am to take a leak and claimed he saw a figure pacing the edge of the field where we were camped, along the edge of some woods near my tent. One other girl with a tent a bit further down from mine also claimed at one point that she felt some presence, one that made her uncomfortable, outside her own tent. I almost always have unpleasant, often disturbing dreams, but this is by far the most vivid. I didn't realize I'd even fallen asleep until I woke up. Hmm. The other two seeing what they did, though, that makes me wonder if it was really a dream after all. No kidding. Jesus, I wonder if that's uh, like something poking through from the war or yeah. someone left behind yeah. who doesn't realize yeah. he's left behind. Yeah. What a god-awful existence. Yeah, 100%. I think it's someone who's killed and doesn't know they're dead and, and doesn't know what to do with it. Yikes. Yeah. And you hear about that, not just in Europe. I mean, of course, in Europe, but also like in Gettysburg and, and you've had your own experience with that kind of thing. And yeah. So, yeah, that's wild. The Beach House. My husband, two kids, and I spent our summer at my husband's family home, a charming beach house built in the early 50s on an island off the west coast of France. There had been no deaths in the home or on the beach near the house. However, we've experienced very unusual activity at both sites regularly. My first experience happened the second day of our vacation. It was night, and my children were out in the front yard, when suddenly I heard my name being called excitedly. I rushed out to find my son looking at something in the bushes. I went over to see what he was looking at, to see a frightened little hedgehog, which are very common in the area, hidden in the bush. It quickly scampered deeper into the shrub, which we later found out was his home. I quickly got my camera out to see if I could capture any photos of the hedgehog. While taking pictures of the yard, I started noticing things in the pictures. Thick, black, smudge-like appearances showed in nearly every picture I captured. Keep in mind, I had the flash on, so it could have been just shadows. But the smudges would appear in the middle of the pictures, where nothing could have gotten in the way. So I'm a little skeptical of that idea. After the encounter, my kids would spend most of their time near the bushes, hoping to see the little spike ball again. The next day, my family and I went out to the beach at low tide so we could explore the tide pools. We stayed there for hours, returning only home when the tide rolled back in. The next morning, I woke up early and set breakfast, then went outside to have my coffee, and was shocked to smell an awful odor like the sea and rotting seaweed. The house is very close to the beach, but there was no way that was the cause of the smell, as this never happened before. As I was puzzling this out, I saw a dead crab being infested by ants just outside our gate. In fact, I spotted six dead crabs in the front yard, most of them in and near the bushes. I was positive the kids didn't bring back any crabs from the tide pools, and there was no way seven crabs walked from the beach to our house. I was disturbed and questioned my family about it afterwards, but got nowhere. As it turns out, this was only the start to the activity. After this, doors would slam extremely hard or open by themselves. While my children were sleeping, they would be awoken by loud scratching on the doors. Sometimes you could hear a woman laughing and what sounded like an old man talking gibberish. My 12-year-old daughter would also come... Ah, 12-year-old daughter. 
would also complain of seeing flashes of people walking around the house. She was the most sensitive to the activity. There you go. She told me of having many apocalyptic dreams and that she was afraid to fall asleep. One very interesting encounter happened while I was taking pictures of my kids playing in the tide pools. In four of the photos I took, a foggy figure can be seen looming in the rocks. That same day, my daughter complained of having a headache and hearing a ringing sound in her ears while she was around the same area where I took the pictures. The rest of the vacation went off with much similar activity. My husband's family have never talked about any paranormal experiences in their home, and I cannot understand why they would suddenly start happening. And you think the presence of the daughter? 100%. Interesting. 100%. There is a real shift in energy, uh, specifically in women. Right. Uh, when everything starts up. Right. Uh, but also with, with boys, when once your brain, because your brain is literally being rewired. Right. When the hormones start to gush, your brain gets rewired. And that really does seem to trigger something. Right. With energy, with attracting energy, um, because I, in some ways it's the point where you are at your most vital. Right. You are at your peak of energy that you will, you're never going to be at that same level ever again than when your body starts to cross over from being a child to being an adult. Right. Because of that intense rewiring. So yeah, as soon as I read that 12 year old daughter, ah, right. So something was obviously hanging around and was drawn to her. And she talks about it again. Uh, the same day my daughter complained of having a headache and hearing yeah. a ring sound. That's it. Yeah. That's to me. That's like, Oh, mystery solved. Fair enough, yeah. yeah. Well, it was interesting to note the apocalyptic dreams because a friend of mine, when he lived in Kamloops, he had that problem. Oh, wow. And he also had an issue with feeling phantom hands on him Ooh. in the night. Like in one, I think he recalled, or pardon me, I think I recall him telling me about feeling a touch move from his legs up his body. Uh-oh. Yeah. And uh, not not the fun way either. <laughs> And then, yeah, he would fall asleep and he'd have these incredibly detailed apocalyptic dreams. Oh, no. Really, really detailed stuff. And I, I just wonder why that is. I mean, I, I have intense, sometimes apocalyptic dreams, but not the way he would describe them. Mm. He would say they were minutely detailed. Wow. And uh, back when I was writing my book, A Strange Little Place, available everywhere, fine books are sold. Oh, my God. Uh, I interviewed a family and there was one room in their house and whoever slept in there would have incredibly vivid dreams. Really? Only that one room. Didn't matter who it was. Wow. Yeah. So I just, again, something to do with the sleeping brain and who knows? I, I don't have a, I, I'm not a, well, I'm I not think a brainologist. That brainologist. The sleeping brain is one that is still active. Right. Of course. And I think that's why it is so susceptible because right. our usual defenses are down. Of course. But it can still be like a computer in sleep mode. Yeah. Still active. Yeah. Absolutely. Even if you're not hitting the keys. In my dreams I drown. In the summer of 2012, my family took a holiday to Brittany, in the north of France, and rented a caravan in a local site. Frankly, the site was beautiful. There was a nearby beach, nice sports facilities, a large pool, and a brilliant restaurant. For the first few nights, things were great. I slept well, had a good time during the day, and I was truly beginning to relax. Then my younger brother, who was six at the time, began to say things that particularly unnerved us. One night we went to the bar for dinner and began to watch the Euro 2012 final, a football match. Over dinner, conversation was flowing and we began to debate whether death was really it or if he carried on afterwards. My younger brother then told us he believed you could go on after death. We all shot him a funny look. He rarely offered his opinion on anything, and on a subject like this, we expected him to be terrified. 
but he sat in his chair, resolute as ever, and told us he believed that. When asked why, he told us about the man he talked to last night. He said the man had told him he was already dead, but he was not gone. My dad, quite a spiritual man by all accounts, probed him further. All my brother would say was that the man wore a top hat and a trench coat. The next day, we were having dinner outside the caravan. We had more or less forgotten what my brother had said, but he got himself grounded, and my mother sent him to his room. He refused to go. He told us he would go to any other room but his. My dad looked worried. He escorted my brother into the caravan and put him in my room. He looked uncomfortable coming back outside. It was a warm day, but dad said he definitely felt the chill. Being a bit of a daddy's boy, no shame, (laughs) when dad said he was sleeping in my brother's room, I jumped at the chance to join him. I took top bunk, he took bottom, and both of us fell asleep almost instantly. There was no man in a top hat that night. Over breakfast, however, dad told me he had dreamed he was drowning, as if he was folded up, limbs pinned to his chest, deep underwater. Later that day, my gran, a devout Irish Catholic who had come on holiday with us, came over for lunch. She reported a cold feeling from my brother's room and told us to stay away from it. Mm. She knew nothing else about our experiences in the caravan, and it was at this point we decided to relocate. Yeah, good call. Jesus. In Leon. Three years ago, I was a student in Leon working part-time in the winter at an old high-end restaurant. My job was to clean the whole restaurant before noon, so every day around 5 a.m., when it was still pitch black outside, I would start. The first thing I did on arrival was to lock the door from the inside, then turn the alarm off and the heating on. All the other employees started work close to noon, so I had the place to myself. Well, technically I had the place to myself, because I never quite felt alone. There were many instances where I could feel a thin tendril of air passing behind me, as though someone was there. It was something confusing, but never really frightening, as I was so focused on finishing work as soon as possible, so I wouldn't be late to classes. I mean, that I could explain by him having turned the heat on. What kind of heat? No, that's a good point. I mean... If if it's forced air. If it's forced air, sure, 100%. But you... We can have a dad conversation about furnaces? You kind of know. Well, for sure, radio. Yeah, well, if it's the Blaster 3000, (laughs) you're going to get yourself a pretty good pizza here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but yeah. It's just a heat pump, because we were, we were wondering about a heat yeah, pump. Yeah, I was thinking solar. Solar <laughs> with water. I think it'd be a good combination. Um, no, I do wonder, though, because you know what that is. You know the feeling of forced air. I guess, yeah. But, yeah, who knows? The building was two stories, and sometimes when I worked upstairs, I could hear footsteps coming from downstairs or running up and down the staircases. I've had that happen. When it happened, I would go down to the ground floor to see if either my boss or the chef had arrived. They were the only other two with keys, but not even once were they present on these occasions. Other than this, sometimes I would hear doorknobs turning or strange sounds from the kitchen, but whenever I checked, nothing was there. The building had some particular locations where it stayed cold no matter how high the heating was set, and when you were at those places, you tended to get the feeling someone or something is always there and it never moves. One of the creepiest places was the huge cellar in the basement, which I had to visit often to refill wine. I often felt a kind of humming down there, but it's hard to explain as it was more felt than heard. I worked in that place for three months, and in all those three months, my instincts insisted that not only were there entities in that place, they were not spirits, but rather things that had never been human. Regardless, I dismissed the instinct every time, as I was uncomfortable with the subject of the paranormal. After three months of work, I found a better job, which suited my education, so I decided to leave. And something happened on the last day which changed my whole attitude towards that building. 
It was almost 11.30 in the morning, and I was waiting for my boss outside the restaurant to give him my key. Sophia, one of the barmaids, was already there, so I unlocked the door and let her in while I waited outside. About 15 minutes later, she came running back outside, her face pale and panicked. She sat next to me and lit a cigarette with shaking hands. What happened? I asked. It's as usual. The things inside scared me. What do you mean? She looked at me puzzled. You don't know? Ghosts. She went on to describe the usual footsteps, along with the voices and a phantom touch on her shoulder from behind. I told her I had experienced similar things, but never really accepted it. And she said I was lucky to have never been harmed. She was also shocked to hear that I started work at 5 a.m. Because I had to finish the work before noon, they all thought I started at 10 or 11. Even my boss thought this. Sophia explained that the building was centuries old and had been a restaurant, hotel, or bar for its entire life. And she believed that some of the merrymakers who'd come to a party in the building had returned after death. Now, Sophia was a lovely girl, but was only 18 and known to be a bit of a wild child. So I thought maybe she was shining me on and having a laugh at my expense. But later that afternoon, I ran to another employee, Adela, and she confirmed it all. She also yelled at me for working alone so early in the morning. Adela said the ghost could be violent at times and mentioned a specific incident when her, my boss, and another employee were having their final drink of the day sometime around midnight. They had heard huge bangs and other loud noises from the kitchen, like someone was screaming out of anger. They were also scared because the whole place was locked from the inside, and there weren't any others present in the restaurant but these three. Once everything calmed down, they fetched some people from the neighboring hotel and ventured into the kitchen to see what had happened. Inside, it appeared as though the food trolley had banged into the back door of the kitchen a number of times. The door was locked, and the assembled crew wondered if something had been banging the trolley against the door trying to open it. What really frightened them was the kitchen knife scattered all over the kitchen. Had some employee been present at the kitchen when this had happened, they would have likely died or at the very least been severely injured. After this incident, my boss had brought a priest to purify the place, and things calmed down for some time, but they came back. Huh. That actually sounds really similar to a story I heard from a, a diner. A diner here in town? Yeah, the, uh, the a new Floyd's opened up not far from my apartment. Yeah. And uh, I've become a regular. Um, Surprise. <laughs> and it came up that I do this podcast. Yeah. Uh, talking to the servers. And they said it's haunted there. I believe that. Uh, and apparently, yeah, one issue is things being scattered in the kitchen. Yeah. After it's been locked up. Interesting. And I guess there was one occasion, Now I can't remember if they told me this or if someone who had previously been there told me this, but it, it's in this location. The staff locked up for the night, everything was clean and put away. Then 10 minutes later, they realized they'd forgotten something. So in, in maybe not even 10 minutes. They were, they'd been within sight of the door. Yeah, yeah. They went inside, stuff scattered everywhere. Wow. Yeah. So it happens pretty quick. It, yeah, it happened quick. And Did I know in Main Street Cafe in Revelstoke, they had issues with things flying across the kitchen too. Did they hear anything? Um, or or does it always just happen? I'd have to ask. The story I specifically heard was when people were gone, but yeah. it may also happen when they're there. I'm not sure. Interesting. And what's upstairs there? I think it's just offices now. Okay. Yeah. I'm not hundred percent on that, but I think it's just offices. I'd love to know the history of that building. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't feel anything when I was there, but they've certainly experienced that. It's hard to feel things. So if the place is busy, that's true. Yeah. And it's always busy. Yeah. And I, I find places like that, if there's a lot of energy going through a place, I can't pick up on anything weird.
But I figure the fact that, uh, that I go there as much as I do is probably a good indication that there's something there because there was a restaurant there before and I never went there. Ew, well, it was gross. Yeah. Uh, it's, maybe it's got <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I just disproved my own point there. <laughs> oh, well. Oh, it must be the magical hash browns luring you in. See, uh, I get the veggie hash with chicken added. Okay. And no dairy. And unseasoned potatoes. Great. Thank you so for your, good. for your order. The great part is they know it now. Uh-huh. Like the, the, I was in there the other day and the this guy comes over. And I, it, he said he, he was going to listen to the show at some point. If you're listening, hello. Uh, <laughs> I, I told him, I said, I'll never ask. I'll never say, hey, have you listened to my podcast? Because that's the worst thing someone could ever ask you. It really is. Uh, but uh, like, Have um, you seen my screenplay? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's about equal. <laughs> but uh, he came over and he had a bet with another server because they were debating what my, exactly my order was. And, uh, yeah, so I've reached that point now. Oh boy. Yeah. He got it right. So I got a high five and a free coffee. Nice. Nice. (laughs) The Titan. As far back as I can remember, ghosts and paranormal events have always been subjects I would eagerly bring up during a conversation. However, as much as I wished, I was never gifted with an experience of my own. All the odd happenings in my house could usually be brushed off as common disturbances. Creaky wooden house, little animals running around in the attic or jack-o'-lanterns by the riverside. Only one event from my teen years really stands out as an anomaly. No matter how hard I think about it, I cannot find a logical explanation. It happened in 1998 when I was 16 years old. At the time, my mother and my two sisters, 10 and 12, were living with my stepfather and his two children. This particular year, we had to spend Christmas with my stepfather's family in Verdun. Verdun is a medium-sized city mostly known for its importance during the First World War. It is, on the whole, a rather dull and sad place. We were there, about an hour and a half from home, in a place we didn't like with a family who didn't really want us there until the 25th of December. That sounds like pretty much everybody's Christmas. Yeah, that's a bummer. (laughs) To drive from Verdun to my hometown, you have to use small, two-lane roads which wind through deep woods. The forests are patched with swamps and old bunkers, and families of boar roam wild, so you need to keep your eyes out for when they cross the road. In summer, the canopy makes for a lovely, refreshing drive, but in winter it is icy, prone to fog, and impenetrably dark. You have to be careful if you don't want to end up stuck in the ravines running alongside it. My stepfather and his two kids were in the car in front, and my mum was following close with me next to her and my two little sisters asleep at the back. The weather was poor, so we were driving at a reasonable speed, my mother and I chatting about nothing in particular, when I saw a solid black figure jump out of the woods on the left side of the road. The figure was massive, eight feet tall at least, but skinny and totally in shadow. It seemed square and stiff somehow, like it was a wooden imitation of a human carved by someone who had only a passing idea of what a human being should look like. In less than two enormous steps, this thing crossed from the ravine on the left and stopped right in front of my stepfather's car. There was no time to stop. He drove right through it. I gasped. My mother hit the brakes as soon as she'd seen it, slowing us enough that the car was controllable should we need to turn suddenly. As we got closer to where the figure was standing, it turned its head toward us. It was the strangest thing feeling as though a huge pair of eyes are on you, but not being able to see them. What I could see made even less sense. This huge figure was carrying something in its arms close to its body. It was a big square object attached to its right wrist by a chain. Time seemed to slow down as I looked that thing in the eyes, or where its eyes should be. Doing so, I felt filled with sorrow and despair, but I wasn't scared. I was flabbergasted, curious, and worried we were going to hit it, but not scared. This being, however... I felt it was terrified. It fled just as we were about to reach it, jumping again onto the other side of the road and back into the woods with a couple of hurried bouncing steps. My mother sped to catch up with my stepfather's car and nothing was said until my sisters both woke up to tell us they were cold. 
before dozing off again. After a few more minutes of silence, my mom asked if I had seen something, and if my stepfather had driven through it. My answer was yes on both counts, and my mother said it must have been an atmospheric effect caused by fog, and that was about it. (laughs) That's some fog. Yeah. The issue came up again a few months later when debating ghosts and apparitions with a couple of guests at our house. I described the swamp gas my mother and I had seen that night, but afterwards she stared at me blankly and said she had only seen a thick white mist. She said it had behaved the way I described, but it was never anything more than lively fog. I know what I saw, and more importantly, what I felt. A lively fog. A lively fog. I love it. There are many stories concerning this forest, about soldiers from wars gone by, about car accidents and whatnot, but nothing related to a ghost chained to a square rock or box. The only tale I can relate this adventure to is one concerning these landowners who in the past used to move the rocks marking the limits of their properties to gain a few acres of land. Legend says they have to remain earthbound until they can put the markings back where they should have been. Hmm. The habit of moving one's property boundaries was common in this area, so I wouldn't be surprised to meet someone carrying his burden for so long that he barely knew anymore how to show himself in human form. Now, I mean, I kind of think that's a case of the legend growing up around the phenomenon. Right, right, um, with, right. The thought I had is it kind of reminded me of legends of Titans being imprisoned in the earth. Right. You know, this giant thing that is sort of literally tethered with a rock and it's trying to make a break for it. And that's right. why it's frightened. Hmm. That's cool. I mean, it's a, yeah, I don't like it though. It bothers me because it hints at a much larger world. And I'm not, <laughs> not crazy about that. It's just a lively mist. A lively mist. A lively mist. Yes. The boy. When I was 17, I got the opportunity to go on my first big trip alone. It was a real thrill because not only was I getting to go to Paris without any adult supervision, but for at least a few days, I would be staying in an apartment on my own. My mother had a friend living in Paris, you see, and his partner owned an apartment just across the street from theirs, which was unoccupied at the time. So they let me stay there so long as I checked in with them frequently. It was wonderful. I would spend my days walking, sightseeing, and generally being a tourist, then come home to what felt like my own apartment to sleep. I couldn't have been happier, at least at first. While sleeping one night, I was jarred awake by a frantic knocking at the door, followed by the sound of a woman's voice speaking in French. My only knowledge of French came from my language classes back home, but I knew enough to understand that this woman was pleading for help. From my door, she started trying others in the hallway, but I didn't hear anyone else answering their doors either. Maybe I should have done more. But I was a teenage girl alone in a foreign country and so, so scared. The woman finally fled the building, still crying for help. By the time the woman's cries faded, I was too frightened to sleep, so I lay in bed staring at the apartment. That's when I heard a weird noise from behind the front door. It was a studio suite. So no matter where you were, you could see the entire place except for the bathroom. And that's how I was able to see from the bed, the lock on the door turning as if someone was using a key to open it from the outside. I was terrified, thinking a burglar was coming to rob the apartment. So I lay back in bed and tried like hell to pretend I was asleep. He could take whatever he wanted so long as he kept thinking the only witness was sound asleep. The door squeaked as it swung open, and a little boy walked in, heading straight towards me. My eyes were mostly closed, so I could only see a little bit his body, but not his face. He was wearing overalls and a shirt, both somewhere in the pale brown to green range, and his skin was paper white. He was also slightly transparent. When he got to the bed, he touched me. 
shaking me as though he's trying to wake me up. He spoke in French and from what I could understand was saying something like, please wake up, come with me. You have to see this. Fuck you, dude. Oh. I do not. Sorry, buddy. I'm rolling over and going to sleep. I was fully awake and remember trying to decide whether or not to go with him. Whatever he wanted to show didn't necessarily have to be bad, but I couldn't make myself go. I was too frightened. I continued to pretend I was asleep. And after a few seconds, the little boy walked away, his footsteps audible in the quiet room. I opened my eyes enough to see the door closing and the lock turning again. After that, I turned on all the lights in the apartment, and they stayed on the rest of the time I was there. The boy never returned. Oh, man. That reminded me a little bit of that time I was in that excruciatingly grimy motel in Sawasan. Right. When I went over for that conference. Yes. And I woke up in the middle of the night to hear that, what sounded like a, a domestic disturbance about to turn violent. Right, yeah, And yeah, the police yeah. turned up. But it was like waking from a nightmare into another nightmare. Yeah. And hearing this really aggressive sound. Yeah. It was, uh, I was just right on the other side of my wall. Well, and it would be instinctual. You would feel unsafe. Yeah. And so your, your whole body would be on like high alert oh it was yeah yeah yeah. yeah. no when the cops turned up i was never so happy to hear the police yes but uh man that especially the fact they opened a locked door with this story yeah how do you feel safe again in that apartment after that well why did he have to open the door couldn't he just walk through it well he didn't know he was dead maybe yeah but then he's trying to lure her out almost maybe it's something to show her yeah i mean he's transparent so she said she was, he was partially transparent. So. I think it had something to do with the woman who was pounding on the door begging for help. I mean, I wonder if she was even really there. No, I don't think so. I yeah. think she was part of the whole replaying experience. Why well, was one, is it replaying? Because I, I, there's a few more details that I just cut out because it was kind of extraneous. But I mean, the building um, was built in 1960. So they, you know, it was not knocked down during the war or anything. Right. Uh, and of course there could have been something there. That's, that's possible. Oh, definitely. Um, but It's Paris. Yeah, yeah, fair. Guaranteed. But I just wonder, I mean, is it, it sounds to me like something, a little bit like the time slip in that it's something that's trying to draw you out hmm. and get you to compromise your safety, you know? See, to, you're just automatically going to the dark place. I, I'm going to the suspicious place because if something <laughs> wanders into my apartment at uh, ass o'clock. Oh, I'm still not going, but I, <laughs> I'm just saying it doesn't mean it has ill intent. I don't know. I just feel, feeling like the luring is, is, right. is a red flag to me. You know, after some of the experiences. Come and uh, see the top of the stairs, pretty Yeah, lady. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. Fool, me, tw- fool me twice. Yeah, really? I'm solid. The ghosts <laughs> keep trying to kill me. Why won't he die? <laughs> Just die, you bastard. <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm going to come back up to the top of those stairs, but I'm not sure what it is you guys are trying to get me to see. This hurts, though. I'm starting to get sore. Eight times. Eight times. <laughs> the ghosts are all tired. They're huffing and puffing. Jesus, he's heavy. Oh, it's almost done. <laughs> well, there was some creepy stories in there. That was good. Yeah. Interesting. Most of them happen on vacation. Well, I guess it makes sense because you're going to get a lot of English speakers. Exactly. Right, so, but I thought it was kind of interesting that there's sort of a difference in, I guess, because, you know, you're technically dealing with holidaymakers, but there was a real different tone to these stories than some of the American places yes, you've done. Yes. Yes. You know, like more, I don't want to say menacing. But in some cases, more, uh, less obvious, I guess I should say. Yeah. Less obvious, you know, shadow people or right. this. There's just a whole other dimension to, again, like luring and see things yeah. and, and the ocean and yeah. stuff like this. So it's just kind of fascinating the yeah. differences between the places. That's pretty neat. Yeah. 
All right, so that's going to do it for The Haunting of France, part one. Mm-hmm. We'll be back after the break with some listener mail and our patron shoutouts. Thanks to our researchers, Luke Greensmith and Anthony Germain, for their work on this episode. Anthony is back from vacation. Excellent. So welcome home, Anthony. Hopefully you grab a beer with him one of these days. Uh, let's get started with our patron shoutouts. You bet. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our most recent ones. They are Daniel L. Feltham. Rose Devereaux. Brett Manning. Sarah Palm. And Palm, uh, Palma. Palma. Sorry, it's real small. Sarah Palma. And Ellen Morrison. Thank you so much for your generous support, guys. We mm-hmm. appreciate it so, so much. Big time. We just recorded our uh, monthly live show yep. with our $10 patrons, yep. which is always a good time. And well, so, for somebody. Well, yeah, I mean, hope so. Uh, yeah, we enjoy it, but we, I don't <laughs> know that they're going to get a whole lot out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you and I don't find each other very entertaining, I think is the problem. <laughs> and hopefully they do. <laughs> we find everything entertaining. This That's is true. Yeah, well, yeah, we talk like a couple of... A couple of old men at the <laughs> barber shop. I think I don't know if that's compelling or not. <laughs> if you'd like to join uh, our patrons' ranks, head over to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We have tiers at the one, five, ten, twenty, and fifty dollar levels. Starting at five, you get things like exclusive water cooler content, uh, usually about half hour to an hour every month, where Ian and I talk about the food we've been watching, things we've been doing. Or, no, that's not right. No, I, food if I been... only watched the food, I'd be way thinner. <laughs> food we've been eating, yes. films we've been watching, yes. and everything else we've been doing. Stuff that doesn't fit into the main show. You also get bonus outtakes, and uh, actually the Luke Lore episodes are going to be coming out, actually the first one should be out by the time this drops. Cool. Luke sent it in, I've just got to, I edited it once, and then I thought, now nah, i got to do this again, so that should be out. And those will be once a month drops for $5 and above, on during which Luke will expand on a certain folklore subject. Cool. I think he might be doing for this month the Beast of Givaudan, which is uh, a French legend of sort of a werewolf type creature nice. that we couldn't work into the show. Sounds like Gerard Depardieu. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Next up, we have our listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. As always, we've had a ton of correspondence, and we'd like to thank everyone who wrote in. They are Mary, Alexandra, Steve, Rosemary, Melanie, Rin, Ruth, Mary, another Mary. Yeah. Two Marys. Erica, Johanna, Nixie, Shannon, Caitlin, Sarah, Anna, and Gordon. Oh, and Christina, pardon me. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for writing in, sending us your stories, your kind words. If you have a story to share or just something you want to tell us, send it to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Yeah. We do have the Facebook page at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys and the Instagram account at instagram.com slash the ghoststoryguys. But uh, email is still the best way to get a hold of us. We read everything we get and we will always reply. And sometimes things slip between the cracks. And we just discovered one that did. Uh, Jim from Pennsylvania. Jim, you wrote us on January 2nd. We missed it completely. We found it while looking for listener stories. We'll be getting back to you right away. We will. We even started. Like, 
Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It, I don't know how that happens. Sometimes. So we, had, we had a ton of correspondence around that time. We so. did. You were yeah. the first person to ever fall through the cracks, actually. Really? Yeah, I've never missed anybody else. Oh, well, I hope you feel... Um, feel honored, Jim. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get back to you, Jim. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you to Rebecca, who made us a lovely apple pie. Literally made us pie, which is the quickest way to be our friend. <laughs> with apples from the tree in the yard of a haunted house. That is awesome. Yeah. So yeah. we had haunted apple pie tonight. We did, and it was amazing. It yes. Didn't, it didn't taste that haunted. Just tasted delicious. Just tasted delicious. And she <laughs> so graciously made sure it would not affect, uh, it not sort of trigger any of my food allergies. Which is uh, like threading a needle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're not wrong. You are not wrong. So God. thank you so much, Rebecca. Yes. And thank you too to uh, Becky Campbell, who is an artist from BC. She submitted these really cool neon takes on our logo, mm-hmm. on our classic logo. So those are now up in the Redbubble store. If you check out the shop now link on our Facebook page or go to bit.ly slash GSG merch. Yeah. So there's a a blue, red, orange, and pink neon variation on our classic Ghostery Guys logo. And they're, they're pretty cool. And she also, of course, sent us the, the image of you with, uh, one of your many catchphrases. Uh, Apparently I have catchphrases. (laughs) Apparently. I don't think I do. Well. Disagree. Well, <laughs> and so does she, apparently. Yes. Yes. But thank you so much to everyone who wrote. It's so cool hearing from you guys, it hearing is. what you think, hearing your stories. It's, uh. Sending us food. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah don't, don't feel like you have to do that a whole bunch. We got, we're uh, well fed enough as it is. an order of raw meat that came from, uh, Paris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm good. We're good. But again, thank you. So now, do we have anything coming up? I don't think we do. Do you have any ghost walks in March? Uh, yeah, two, but I don't remember when they are. Okay. So if you happen to be in town in March and, uh, you want to do a ghost walk with Ian, fire us an email to ghostoryguys.gmail.com and we'll let you know when he's working. Um, I think, I know, uh, Paul said mysteries and monsters should be going live, I think in March. So uh, our episode of that should be up soon. Hopefully. I guess that's going to do it. We don't really have, things are pretty quiet right now. Yeah. Well, it's winter. Yeah, fair enough. We're like groundhogs. <laughs> That's so true. Staying underground and warm. Yep, drinking coffee and hiding out. Eating pie. Yes, <laughs> fried chicken. <laughs> Please share us with your friends, rate yeah. and review us on iTunes. We would appreciate that very much. Really, rate and review us anywhere you can. Yeah, you know, and, Stitcher. And, and, and the uh, shares really help. Absolutely. Really, really, help. If for some reason you want to hear more of my voice, you can uh-huh. find me over at my weekly music show, Largely the Truth. That's every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific on 92.5 Stoke FM. If you're not in the local broadcast area, which I assume you're not, you can listen to it at stokefm.com or via the TuneIn app. I actually recommend the TuneIn app. It's a little more stable than the website, and also it's easier for mobile. Uh, But yeah, and I play all different kinds of stuff. This week I've got, was it a synth hit that was only popular in Europe? (laughs) Two songs from the soundtrack to the film The Devil's Carnival, and a track from The Handless Organist, which is apparently a real person who released this album called Truly a Miracle of God in 1964. You're so weird. <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. You really are weird. So, again, that's largely... Deeply, the, deeply weird. <laughs> again, that's largely the truth every uh, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Pacific over at 92.5 Stoke FM or via the web at stokefm.com. Big thanks to Peter from Pizzanta Music for our theme song. As always. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music, And he actually just sent me some photos from his baby's christening. Aww. And it's very cute. 
If you want to pick up some Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to ghoststoryguys.threadless.com or the Redbubble store at uh, bit.ly slash gsgmerch, or just search on Redbubble for the Ghost Story Guys. And one of our listeners is uh, doing a Ghost Story Guys bathroom reno. Oh, yeah. I'm that's MC, right? to see that. They actually ordered the shower curtain. Yes. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see that. It's going to be amazing. kind of surreal. And they're using your postcards that you get at the $20 level. They're going to frame those and put them in the Ghost Story-themed bathroom so weird so cool so cool but so weird it is weird but i, love I actually it. just sold my first print too wow yeah someone someone who thank you someone who listens to the show they uh they follow me on instagram yeah and uh yeah they like one of the pictures asked how much it would be for a print and you're so like nine thousand dollars exactly and then they said fuck off and i said how about this much and they were <laughs> much more amenable that's awesome yeah so it's pretty cool so uh yeah if you want to check out my night photography it's at instagram.com slash largely the truth and there's, of course, our Instagram account at Instagram.com slash the ghost story guys. And really that's just a lot of memes. It's, it's yeah. nothing really paranormal. No. We, we have some pretty goddamn great memes. I'm pretty do. proud of our Instagram account. We do. And what I love is it's you and me and Anthony and Luke, Luke all contributing to that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and people send us stuff now too. Yeah, uh, that's Sam, great. Uh, the artist Sam Sheeran sent some stuff. We've had, uh, oh, who, who else? I know Becky sent some stuff. Janet sent some stuff. So a lot of people nice. sending stuff in. Love it. Uh, speaking of Sam, actually, Sam has launched his own Patreon. Cool. He's got some pretty cool stuff. And you can check him out at patreon.com slash Mr. Sam Sheeran. And uh, I encourage you to check that out. I guess that's going to do it. Yeah. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then. Into the darkness we go. Bienvenue. Je suis, je suis Gustory Guys. It's about as much French as I speak. That's about as much French as I got to. Fuck, hope he didn't use my name. No, he didn't. Okay. <sighs> You're in everybody's drama. You'd love it. I saw this thing and said, I don't want to be involved in the drama, but I want to hear 103% of it when it happens. <laughs> I think that's how that works. Uh, yeah, I, I thought know. so, yeah. Yes, I'll be cutting that out. <laughs> Only because we're scared of the Russian mafia. You're 100% that's what we're scared of. <laughs> <laughs>